This episode contains graphic content that may be alarming to some. Listener discretion is advised. He just went in on me and he said, you're fired. And let me tell you why you're fired. Because you guys suck. You're boring. You're not with the times. So get the hell out of my club. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's go. Let's get done one more time. This is a show inspired by one of my kids who, for them, making mistakes and facing failure when things aren't predictable can be really tough. But life isn't predictable. If you want to be successful at anything, mistakes and failure, they're just required. You've got to fall down if you want to move ahead. And in today's social media world, we're so good at posting our best angles with the best filters. We're not posting the mistakes we make. We're posting our victories. But that's not real life. Being a Grammy-nominated songwriter, producer, and entrepreneur, I get to hang with some of the most influential, bigger-than-life human beings on the planet. And even when making the biggest hit records, few nail it on the first take. I'm going to try and challenge the stigma of fucking up and explore how even the most successful people face personal and professional moments of doubt and hopefully show all of us that our failures are more fragile moments are where greatness is born. I'm your host, Billy Mann, and this is Yeah, I Fucked That Up. Today we're talking about dropping Lady Gaga and getting shit-canned from a nightclub with Antonio L.A. Reid. When you talk to somebody who is as successful as L.A. Reid about failure, exposing those challenges in your life, it's hard to know how they're going to react. He and I, we've known each other for a long time. Over the years of he and I working together on projects, we really became friends, but not until COVID, because we would talk on Zoom, we would debate, we'd listen to music together. It was the closest thing to sort of hanging out that you could do. And those virtual listening sessions and those debates about records and music became something that I really just looked forward to doing. It's one thing to talk about things with a friend, and it's another thing to talk about here on a podcast. But that's kind of why we're doing this, to find the positive side effects in taking the pill of honesty in conversations like these. And one of the things that's really difficult for very successful people is to talk about very unsuccessful moments. And I think that there's a certain cleansing that comes on the back of doing that. And more importantly, it can show that even people as big and as successful, someone like L.A. Reid, that they also fail and they don't just do it once. In fact, in some ways, every step on that staircase is built on some kind of failure. So I'm really excited to have Ellie Reed sit down with me to talk about all this. He's a living legend in the music industry. He is brilliant. He is admittedly a flawed human being who has done incredible things. He wears both of them out, the flaws and the incredible achievements. He was a band leader. He's a drummer, like a legit musician. He's a songwriter. He's written so many songs that you know it's shocking. But I bring it up because of how rare it is in our industry to have an actual musician sitting at the C-suite level. Aside from Jimmy Iovine, who's now retired, I can't think of any musician literally sitting on top of the industry. Between his work with Babyface, selling his company, being the head of multiple major companies, and writing and producing so many hit songs, LA is somebody who's built his success decade after decade after decade, but he's human. You can't do it that long without fucking up. I think about when he was growing up in Cincinnati, I wonder, did he think, I'm gonna go to Harvard. 
when he was playing in his cover band, did he think, I'm going to take over for Clive Davis, or I'm going to be the go-to guy for huge visionary talents like Jay-Z or Rihanna to get advice? Because all of these achievements come from taking risks. And what exactly is it that you're risking? And the risk is failing. The risk of the world not seeing what you see, not hearing what you hear, requires the knowledge that failure isn't just an option, but it is lurking around every corner that you walk. You know failure is required, but you also know you have to be bigger than failure. And that is who L.A. Reid is. And I'm honored to have you here. Wow, Billy, man. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Nobody in our business goes to a cocktail party and starts bragging about the things that they fucked up. It's like we're not wired to do that. So part of it is to highlight people that are wildly successful and confident enough in themselves to be able to take the armor off for a hot minute and say, even when I have all this, there's a lot of failure involved in being successful. That's right. We view failure as a try. When you try, but you don't succeed, and then you try again, right. and then you try again, one way of looking at that is that, that you failed. But that's not really failure, mm. is it? That's just really, I'm just going to keep shooting it until it goes in. <laughs> yeah, it's right? not like Kobe Bryant like woke up and someone put a ball in his hands and it was a swish. He just kept shooting it. Yeah. And then, it, you know. Have you ever been booed on stage? Oh, I once played a Hard Rock Cafe in San Antonio, Texas with Patty Griffin. She's a Grammy-winning artist. And we're on stage and people, they're not just booing. They're like yelling at the waitress, you know, can you get me more ketchup in my burger? And we're like up there and nobody gave a shit about anything. And that was like almost worse than the booze. Yeah, it's it's a thing, man. It's really, really a thing. That'll snap you right out of whatever trip you might be on or however you might be evaluating what it is that you're doing. The minute they react with a boo, my God, what a wake-up call. What a wake-up. But eventually, don't you think that you thicken your skin a bit where you know that if you get to a certain altitude that you are going to, by virtue of succeeding, you're going to have forces that are going to, frankly, challenge that power, right? Yes, exactly right. But you don't become immune to struggles because you develop a pattern of success. Right. Every day is a brand new day. Every experience is a brand new experience. And it doesn't matter. I've seen many, many people that have 25 and 30 years of success only to wake up and fail at something that they thought they were really, really good at. I found this quote from Jennifer Lopez, which is one of your artists that you've worked with and been close to for years. The quote was, you only learn in this world from the mistakes you make, from the hard times, from going through difficult periods. That's when you grow. Do you think that's true? I absolutely believe that that's true. And I'm inspired by Jennifer, by the way. I was with her and her team yesterday mm. listening to new music and I'm watching what she's becoming like day by day. And that quote, I, that might be from her documentary, Halftime. And in that documentary, 
you see that she's really working hard to achieve certain things. She has dreams. She has goals. She works really hard at it, but doesn't quite make the cut on all things. Mm. But the impact that it has on her isn't negative. It just puts a bigger battery in her back. And that's how I feel. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel, that I try to embrace things that didn't work out and I tried to put them in perspective and learn from them. And that doesn't come easy. Mm. We can generalize it, but it doesn't always come easy because there are times that you may face adversity and you might just feel like you've been fucking screwed. Mm. You could feel like that. Mm -hmm. And then it takes you that much longer to actually come out the other side a better person, but there's just that period where you, you're sort of evaluating it. Do you think failure is fair? The world is a crazy place, man. When I look at the news and when I just see human behavior, I am convinced that there's an equal amount of good and evil in the world. I'm, I'm convinced of that. So I don't know if it's fair, but it's a fact of life. Failure is a fact of life. And all of us have either faced it or we are about to. <laughs> mm. Right? Right. You don't get to escape this planet without some amount of failure and trauma. If you don't experience those things, it's likely because you didn't live very long, honestly. Mm. You know, um, and so I, I think we all can relate to it. And I think that, yes, I don't know if it's fair, but it's a fact of life. So when you, just because I read your book and then I really enjoyed it, and to people listening to this, Sing to Me is a great, and I read a lot of autobiographies and I love nonfiction, and it is really, it is a great read. There was the story about Lady Gaga and the experience you had. I want you to talk about that and spare no detail. I'll try. So Lady Gaga... What an incredible artist, first of all. What an incredible talent. Was she incredible like that when she walked into your office yes. the first time? Yes, she was. She was that incredible the day I met her. She was that incredible. I remember like it was yesterday. I had a small conference room, a waiting room, honestly, that had a piano. By the way, it's the same piano that's in the studio I'm in right now. And she came in and she had on tall white boots, like over the knee like really tall white boots. And she sat down at that piano and she played that piano like they were one. And it made me think of like Tori Amos. I don't know if you've ever watched yeah, her yeah, play. Yeah, of course. But, but she has a way that she like seduces mm. the piano and she mm -hmm. really, she gets, and they become one and it looks like a relationship. It doesn't look like someone playing a piano. And that's what Lady Gaga was doing. She had a relationship with that piano mm. and I was moved. I was really deeply moved, thought she was incredible. And I said to her that I believe that you will change music as we know it. Mm. And we signed her. I think it might have been like one of those fast lock the doors, 24 or 48 hours. Shout out to Josh Sarabin, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I have to do a shout out to Josh because it was Josh Sarabin that brought her to me. 
And Josh and I had had a lot of success together. Most importantly, Josh was the A&R man behind Avril Lavigne's Let Go, which was a huge success for for her, mm. for him, for the company, and for me. We all, we shared in a really important success. So I really adore Josh. He brought Lady Gaga in and we signed her. A few weeks went by and he came in and he played me her demo. and. It didn't sound like the girl that was in my waiting room at one with the piano. It didn't feel like the same thing. It didn't feel as special to me. And it, I was having a bad day. Not a bad day, but probably a day where I was filled with me. Mm. Right? And those are bad days, and you don't even know they're bad days, you know. And I said, you know, I'm just not feeling this. For me, it's not it. And rather than sort of elongating my response to it, how about we move forward separately? Mm -hmm. And I let it go. Mm. I let her go. I insulted Josh. How did he feel about that in the moment? I think that all of us creative people, we all have days when we win and days when we don't. Mm. And we take it in stride. So I think Josh, you know, being a very level-headed man, he took it in stride. It didn't bother Josh until I went on Ellen DeGeneres and I recounted the story. And I wasn't very kind about how I said it. I was on Ellen and I talked about this. I talked about dropping Lady Gaga and how big a mistake it was. Mm. And and I talked about the A&R man who brought it to me and how I dropped him as well in that moment mm. he didn't deserve that and he, i broke his heart he did not he didn't deserve that so for me to be honest billy yes it was tough dropping lady gaga and then watching her not just have a hit but becoming a wildly successful iconic figure that absolutely did change the course of music in her moment right as much as that hurt, it hurt me a lot more how it hit Josh. Was it like that scene in the movie, you know, there's that Notting Hill movie where Hugh Grant sees Julia Roberts' face on every bus everywhere he turns? Yeah, it was some of that. So Just Dance comes out, and I'm kind of a, a nerd, and I watch all the charts, watch everybody's song activity. I saw it on a Canadian chart. Mm. I don't remember which chart it was. I don't remember the publication. But I saw it on a Canadian chart and it was moving. And I said to myself, that's eh, just Canada, <laughs> right? It's not going to cross to America. Then I saw it start to take off in Miami, in San Francisco, right? Sort of the dance party cities, because it was really it was coming out of the clubs, right? It was coming out of the LGBTQ clubs, right? Big time. And I could feel the cultural impact that it was having, mm. but I was still in denial. And I was like, okay, that's cool. It's coming out on the streets, but it's still not going to make it to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, it's on Z100. Did you meet up with her at any point? I did. I did meet up with her. Fast forward. Now she's Lady Gaga. Right. And I'm at a party at Michael Austin's house. Michael is Mo Austin's son. You must know him. Legendary record man. Yeah. Anyway, he has a beautiful party at his house. Bradley Cooper is there. Beck is there. Q-Tip. 
Dave Chappelle and Lady Gaga, hmm. right? I'm invited. I haven't seen Lady Gaga since she became this. I saw her. She saw me. She walked up and she gave me the biggest hug ever. And she held on tight and she said to me, the fact that you decided to let me go was the exact moment that I knew I needed to get my shit together. She didn't seem to hold any grudge. And I have regret. I have deep regret because I like my track record in music. I like being able to say, yes, Lady Gaga, yes, Justin Bieber. Look, you did every little step I take for Bobby Brown. I like it. I'm your baby tonight, Whitney Houston. But what is it that makes you go to that place where you have to remind yourself of all the other things that you've done that have been so successful in the vulnerability of one thing? You know, I don't live in the rearview mirror. I don't live that way. But whenever I am presenting things, presenting something, presenting myself, somebody might just trigger you and say something that makes you feel like you're not Billy Mann, right? And it's in those moments, there's a trigger, and I want to talk about what I've done, but I really try not to. Even in, in my company, when we're making decisions about artists and music, and somebody may passionately weigh in about something that they feel and it may be contrary to how I feel and in those times I kind of want to say but you do know what I've done <laughs> right? right but I do realize that no matter what like it's super important to be kind it's super important to be nice it really is it doesn't mean be a chump it doesn't mean be a pushover it doesn't mean be fake but it's super important and there are times I wish I could have embraced that more, <laughs> you know. Is there times that you felt like where you were unkind and you wish you could take it back? If I'm anything, I'm a coach first. I was never the greatest musician. I wasn't the greatest songwriter. I wasn't the greatest producer. I was never the greatest executive. I am a coach. And I do believe that I am one of the best coaches. I believe that about myself, right? And... I coach hard, and I hope I'm only coaching people who want to achieve greatness. And my biggest disappointment is when I find myself coaching people who actually don't want it. I feel bad about how I made them feel because they don't even want it in the first place. Mm. And then I'm like, damn, I should just have a better filter, you know, because I think of Kobe Bryant and I think of Michael Jordan and I think of people like that as the greats in the world who really just put in more time. They spent more time in the gym. They spent more time studying the footage. They spent more time studying greats. And I think of myself not as a Kobe, not as a Michael, but cut from the cloth of someone who spent a lot of time studying the greats. More importantly than me achieving it, I live to have an impact on others that I believe can achieve it. So in my coaching, I've gone too far at times, but never with the people who were the killers, the winners, only with the people who actually didn't have that aspiration to begin with. To them, I apologize. <laughs> because they didn't have the depth to withstand the kind of pressure. They didn't have the ambition that would meet the moment. The ambition. Yes, the ambition. We assume that everyone that comes into the building 
in a particular capacity in music. We assume that they are there for the same reasons we are there. We assume that they want to have the most number ones. They want to create the biggest stars. They want to have the most innovative approaches to marketing. We assume all these things. And some people just want to have a job. And then in walks me with all of my Phil Jacksonisms and all of my Pat Rileyisms, right? And and people aren't ready for that because they're like, wait, guy, I, I didn't sign up for this, dude. I just graduated college and I, I just I want to have a job. Right. I think I'm going to move out of this business now because of the conversation you just had. You know what, people? This is interesting. Is Michael Jordan didn't make the basketball team in high school. He got cut. Right. Was there that experience for you where you got cut? Yeah. Yeah, we got fired from a club, man. We got fired. My band, we got fired from a club in Indianapolis, Indiana, the night flight. And and I was broken. I was completely broken. Mr. Walt Manning, he fired me and my band, but it was just me. I was the leader of the band. I was the guy that went into the club on an afternoon asking for a little advance. And Mr. Manning had been drinking a little bit, you know, and he just went in on me and he said, I ain't got no advance for you because you're fired. And let me tell you why you're fired. Because you guys suck. You're boring. You're not entertaining. You're not with the times. It's disco. It's Michael Jackson. It's Donna Summers. It's the Bee Gees. And you're down there playing all of those socially conscious, almost jazz records. Well, guess what? That ain't entertainment. So get the hell out of my club. Do you think he was right? (laughs) He was dead right. He changed my life. He was so right. Now, have you ever given that speech to somebody? Not quite like that. No, I have not. I, I probably should have at times, but <laughs> I haven't done that. I just simply cut my ties. Not as mean as he was, you know. As as tough as I think I've been, I wasn't. But I wasn't offended by it. I was like, yeah, curse louder. Like, yeah, get 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 to me. Make me know it. Show me how seriously you are about how bad I am. <laughs> so I could go back and get this together. And I got it together. What failures do you think happen to artists? Like, why do artists fail? Why do artists fail? First of all, I think that artists live in a very vulnerable place. What artists create, they display for public reaction. And they're bearing their souls with every single thing they do. Every single thing they do. Every time an artist makes a song, does a performance, makes a video, makes an appearance, walks out of the house, does an Instagram, does a TikTok, everything they do, they're bearing their souls for people to have a reaction. An artist can come out and people will say, I like the old pink. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe the pink likes the old you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because we don't. none of us are frozen in time. We all grow, we grow older, we change, you know, And but people are, are really mean-spirited about it. And, and I like the old Kanye. But well, do you I think like, that that criticism is what prompts artists to fuck up and fail? I think it causes artists to think that they should repeat what they've done. And great artists do not repeat themselves. Right. Great artists reinvent themselves again and again and again. And what makes them great is when they flirt with the danger of failure, meaning it may or may not work because it's different than what they've done before. That's what great artists do. There's a lot of self-sabotage that I've seen 
mm-hmm. you know, artists that I really, really love. And, and and there's an argument to be made that there's no wrong turn, right? It, your destiny is your destiny. There's You can't do anything wrong because supernaturally you are destined to do whatever you're doing, even if it's fall down. But I think about someone like Terrence Trent Darby, I was like a huge fan of. Oh, man. And yes. Just one of the most talented artists. And I wonder, like, is Terrence Trent Darby a failure or is he just someone who took a path as a brilliant artist and he made decisions and committed to them and just wouldn't back down from them? Is there a stubbornness to it? Like, what have you seen artists do where you scratch your head and go, why why are you doing this? I feel like artists spend the majority of their young lives trying to figure it out. We go through emulating, copying. We go through all of it to finally become it. And when you become it, how sustainable is it, right? So we expect that it should be sustainable for many, many, many years, but that's not always the case, right? Everybody has a different sort of time period, right? So some people might spend their entire life and they hit it, and that might for them be the peak. Others, they might have a much longer trajectory to finally hit a peak. And that's how I see it. I believe success has windows. I don't think it's an infinite gift. I think that it has a very finite beginning and end. So some people get one hit, some people Mm -hmm. get 100 hits. Mm -hmm. But my one hit or your 100 hits, they're both the pinnacles of our lives. Right. And I'm not a failure because I didn't get 100. I didn't want 100. Even if you wanted a hundred, what you got, if it sustains you, right? What does that mean? Right. Jimmy Buffett. How many real hits? I think it's Margaritaville. Margaritaville. Okay. But my man plays stadiums. He sells Margaritaville shirts. They got Margaritaville bars. He's got one, but it is the most meaningful one that I've ever seen. Right? But my man is selling everything as a result of one. So I just look at it differently. Let me ask you this, and you were very open in your book just about your personal journey, about your grandmother, about your mom, about relationships and working relationships. Did you find a pattern emotionally, interpersonally, that you needed to hack basically in yourself as a husband or as a a dad or as a friend, you weren't succeeding in a way and there was work that needed to be done. Did you ever face those kinds of challenges? Daily. (laughs) I I mean, seriously, it hasn't stopped because, I mean, it's really kind of deep, but because I programmed myself an overachiever, I neglected what it meant to have a meaningful relationship with anyone. Only as I've grown older do I realize that I've always run from a meaningful relationship with anyone. It was almost like I didn't feel worthy of that. I didn't feel worthy enough to be in a relationship that was so deep that you had to count on me. It was almost like I didn't want you to count on me because I thought I'd fail you. And as a result, I always kept a certain amount of distance from everyone and not proud of that. Why do you think that is? A fear of failure. Mm. I feared that I would fail you. 
if you count on me as your friend, I felt I would fail you. Did somebody fail you to set the table? I've thought about that a lot. And, you know, I had an incredible relationship with my mother. Like, she passed away in 2012, but I had an incredible relationship with my mom. Nothing to be desired. I felt complete in my relationship with my mother. But I didn't have a father. And I didn't know my father until I was probably like 34 years old. And I met him once. I may have met him. I did. I met him twice. But I was 34 years old. I was already a a man. I was a full grown ass man. And you were L.A. Reid. I was becoming. I was a late bloomer, but I was becoming that guy. (laughs) Right. And there was something in that that I haven't gone deeply into. But there's something in that not having because I didn't know some of the laws of the land. And also how to count on somebody. Yeah. Counting on somebody yes. that's not there is like, okay, well, then I'm going to make sure that I don't have anybody expect me to be there because that way I won't fail them. That's exactly right. And, you know, there's something to be said from people that come from broken families. There's something that I feel like the, the world and the country doesn't appreciate about that, right? That's a different challenge. If you If you come from a home that there's a mother, there's a father, they could be divorced. But if there's a mother in your life and there's a father in your life and there's sisters and brothers and there are times that you come together, right? There's something about that that's really beautiful and it it gives you a confidence about going out into the world, right? And when you come from a different kind of an upbringing, you don't have the same tools. Like I talk to Jimmy Iovine sometimes and he tells me that his dad made him feel like he was invincible. His dad made him feel like he was a gift to every room he walked in. His dad made him feel like he could could achieve anything and he made him feel special. And Jimmy, whom I love, went about his journey and really achieved some great things. But he always walked into the room like, He was supposed to achieve great things. He never walked in with his head down, right? He always walked in with his head up and he spoke to everyone like they were supposed to help him accomplish his goal, Mm. (laughs) right? Naturally. Yeah. Hey, Billy, I got this problem with this soundtrack over here. Billy, what should I do? And all of a sudden his problem is your problem because you're now cast to help him because he had confidence that he was supposed to be the guy that wins, right? Every kid doesn't walk the planet like that. Some people walk the planet really believing that the world is against them and that they don't measure up. And yet they have the same challenge, which is they have to survive. You know, my father-in-law was one of the first people that ever turned to me. And I was like trying to figure out a thing. And I had just started my own company, which eventually I sold. But in the beginning, I used my own money and I I didn't take any investors. And my father-in-law said, anything you do, it's going to be successful. And no one had ever said that to me before wow. in my life. And I remember, I, w- I will never forget where I was in that moment in the kitchen and he said it to me. And it had such a profound effect on me. And it's right, because if you don't have those strong pillars from the time you're little, you can get somewhere, but it's a little lopsided. You know, your posture maybe is a little awkward, which certainly mine is. But Yeah. So that's the difference, isn't it? That gave you a confidence. Now imagine... Most black kids don't get that anywhere. That that conversation like never happens. It may happen more today, but that conversation never happens. No one ever told me you can actually achieve anything you like. You can be anything you want to be. I convinced myself of that. I was a reader. 
I was a student of people. I was a student of the world, right? And I taught myself that, wait a minute, I can actually do anything I want to do. But no one ever said that to me. You know what? People say it now. I'm like, yes, very valuable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm on the one yard line and Thank you're telling you. me I can score. You can do anything. I, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> if you looked at someone who is failing right now, a kid who doesn't have a role model who just fucked up really, really badly, what do you want to tell them? And remember, yes. they're raw. They're at the bottom right now. Yeah, I'm going to say something I saw that really, like, hit home with me. If you're going through hell, why stop there? Right. Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. Keep going. Right. Don't stop there. Because, like I said before, we all have or will face adversity, even trauma. And that too shall pass. I said at the beginning, and I believe this, that that vulnerability is a superpower, that it elevates greatness mm. because you're not threatened by showing that there are scars that yes. speak to who you are as, as a person. Billy, let me say one thing as we close out. Please. What I want to say is I've been through a lot, man. I've been through a lot. I've been up. I've been down. I've been trusted and questioned. I've been embraced and I've been rejected. And I always thought all my life that all of those things were a part of the journey. So I never expected a smooth ride. I didn't get on this plane expecting it to not have turbulence. I expected turbulence, right? I didn't always expect for the turbulence to be so fucking bad, but I did expect it, right? I thought I was built for it. There are times when I'm not sure I'm built for it. There are times when I feel completely broken. And then there are other times I feel completely inspired. And I take it day by day. You know, I do feel strong. I do feel abnormal. But I feel strong and abnormal because I've developed a thickness on my skin, as a result of going through stuff, you know, and some of the stuff I've gone through is the way of the world. Some of the stuff I've gone through, I may have brought upon myself, you know, because none of us are above that either. But either way, what I'll tell you is that I'm built for it, man. L.A., thank you so much for being here and talking with me about failure, which is not an easy subject to talk about. And you shared with so much grace and I think we can all appreciate how difficult it is for people to dive in on something like this. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining me and, and I appreciate you. Thank you, Billy, man. Thank you. Think of the artist in LA's career from soup to nuts, not just his relationship with Babyface, the hits that they wrote, but literally it is unbelievable Tony Braxton, Justin Bieber, Kanye West, Jay-Z, Whitney Houston, Pink, of course, Avril Lavigne, Usher, Outkast. Like, I can't even, there are too many artists to name. It's just to listen to L.A. Reid talk with humility about failure, to take ownership of it, really speaks to precisely what we're trying to uncover here, which is that you are going to fall down. It is not a question. It is a when. It's not an if. And when you do, 
you can return. And when you do, however intense the turbulence may be, you will recover. You can recover. He acknowledges failing in areas and getting back up after. He acknowledged the failure that he faced by not seeing Lady Gaga and then the entire world seeing Lady Gaga and then her thanking him for putting a fire under her is the perfect proof that failure is the actual starting line of greatness within a person. You're talking about the beginning of something, not the end of everything. Yeah, I Fucked That Up is an Interval Presents original production from Silver Sound. Produced by Reed Adler and Jesse Ash. From Interval Presents, executive producers Alan Coy and Jake Kleinberg. Executive producers from Silver Sound are Corey Choi and Reed Adler. Story producer Jesse Ash. Senior producers Hunt Beatty and Rebecca Halperin. Sound, edit, design, and mix by Luke Allen. Original music by Killy Idol. Special thanks to Director of Operations Sarah Yu, Senior Director of Digital Strategy and Business Development Sheffy Ellenzweig, and Director of Marketing Samara Still. I'm your host, Billy Mann. Make sure to follow Yeah, I Fucked That Up and listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>